Go ahead and take a seat. Thank you, Ishmael. Thank you for reading our passage tonight. Um, if you uh, don't, haven't gotten the hint yet, maybe, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, uh, you will in a moment because it'll say up here that we're going through the book of Acts. We're going through the book of Acts. Uh, we're starting in uh, Acts chapter 1. We'll be going uh, through 1. Hopefully we'll get through chapter 2. Uh, that's the plan. So we're going to take six weeks and just march through the book of Acts. If, if you were with us last summer, anybody here was here last summer? Part of YA last summer? Remember the book of Mark? Anyone? Yeah. Sarah? <laughs> Wow. All right. Well, that means so many of you are new, and I'm so thankful for that. And that just means we really need to get to know each other. Please come say hi to Sarah or myself. I am Brian Williams. I am the Young Adults Pastor here, and I would love to get to know you. Uh, Well, we're going through the book of Acts. We're going to take six weeks, and we are going to march through it uh, a verse at a time, kind of a chunk of verses at a time as necessary. We want to take our time, and we're not going to rush through it. And like I said, over six weeks. We're definitely not getting through the whole thing. Uh, That means we'll probably get through the first two chapters. That's the goal. That's the expectation. That's the plan, um, is just the first two chapters. And and I think that's going to be really impactful. I think it's going to be really meaningful and set some things up for you as you approach the scriptures in your own time. As you, as you spend time in God's Word, I hope that you will spend time in the book of Acts. And the things that we discuss here on Thursday nights, the, as we go in depth on these verses, just these opening verses of the book, that it bring life and color to the rest of it as you read it. And so with that, I even want to challenge you, uh, encourage you to join me in reading through the book of Acts over the next six weeks. Anybody up for that, maybe? All right. You weren't here for Mark, but you'll read the book of Acts. All right. So the book of Acts, it's 28 chapters, 28 chapters. 28 divided by six is like four point something. So let's round it up to five. And we can read five chapters a week, right? That's doable. We can read five chapters a week. I want to encourage you to do it. Join in on this. Set it as a discipline, even if it's in addition to some a Bible reading plan or some other structure you have. Read these five chapters so that together, collectively as a church, we can see what God might do through that, what he might speak to us. That we all might learn and see maybe there's some thread that God brings about of this and through this that we see and go, oh, Lord, that's what you're speaking, that's what you're saying, and that's where we need to go. And that we'll be all impassioned and enlivened towards it because God has not just spoken it to some other person, but that he's spoken it to you as well. So join me in reading the book of Acts over these six weeks, five chapters a week. We can do that. We can do that. God's word is alive and active. It's alive and active. And our hope is that you would engage in his word and with the Holy Spirit, so that you may know and enjoy the abundant life God offers us. The abundant life Jesus promised those who would follow him. I think that what is covered in these first two chapters will, uh, that we explore on Thursday nights, is the groundwork. Not just for what we see in the rest of this book, the book of Acts, but for the rest of the New Testament. And even for the continuation of the work of the Spirit, in our day, among us here in this room. Now, this document, the book of Acts, is uh, a sequel. 
It's a sequel. It's actually part two to the Gospel of Luke. It's written by the same author, and it carefully records the acts of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles. It's the story of the church's beginnings, the story of the Spirit's arrival to empower God's people to share the gospel. And it shows and it explains and reveals the amazing growth of the church from just a few people, just a few not unethnically diverse, mostly uneducated people, a small group, a small crew who, humanly speaking, had nothing going for them. They had no money. They had no power, no earthly means of influence, no proven leaders. It was utterly new. And in those days, those in power actively worked, actively worked against it to extinguish it. It was subject to the most intense hatreds and persecutions, and for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, Christians were outlaws who were tortured and murdered and scapegoated for societal problems. All of that despite being law-abiding, humble, pacifists with no ambitions for insurrection. And yet those in power feared it because they saw the power of it. The way it changed not just individual people, but was moving through all of society in such a magnificent, incredible way. And they were fearful of it. So this church here tonight, us, the people, this building, you know, it's great. We're thankful to have it, to be able to meet in here, but this is not the church you are. We are together. We are the church. We could go meet in Dover Hendricks Park, and we're the church just as much as we are here now. This church, this gathering of people is a miracle. This is a miracle. We shouldn't be here. Like, we really... doesn't make sense that we are here. We are the continuation of a work that started back then and what we'll be reading about. And like I said, this shouldn't exist by any human standards or logic, but it does. We do. We are here because the power and heavenly authority which has strengthened and established it not just us right here, but from the very beginning, the seeds that, that bore the fruit that we are here today. The book of Acts gives us the truth and foundations upon which that misfit group of Christ followers could be the genesis of a global family. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's really important stuff. It's amazing that we get to participate in it. We get to participate in what we're going to read tonight and what you read over the course of these six weeks in the book of Acts. And that really gets me to the first point of our talk tonight. As I set up our exploration of this document, the title that's traditionally given to the book of Acts is actually the full length is the Acts of the Apostles. But perhaps more fitting of a title would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. You know, verse 1 of this book that we're about to read, it reads like this. It says, In my former book, Theophilus, he's writing to Theophilus, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to his apostles, he had chosen. To call this the Acts of the Holy Spirit, 
This, this whole document is both theologically accurate and consistent with the narrative nuance that Luke writes with throughout the whole thing. And even writes here at the beginning, verse 2, that this document is a continuation of his chronicling all that Jesus began to do and teach and continued through the Holy Spirit. As I said, the book of Acts is a sequel. It's a sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And it's a two-part work with the same author, and there are themes that span the length of both these documents. In Luke's gospel, the first document, really it's first scroll, like in case you were like, why would there be two? Well, actually back in the day, you would write on like papyri scrolls, and this is just like a little nugget in thrown there. Uh, you learn random things when you're trying to research to preach and stuff. So did you know that scrolls like couldn't be any longer than 35 feet? I mean, they could but when they got over 35 feet, it was too cumbersome to carry. So I just think it's funny, like a 35-foot papyrus scroll would be this like big thing. And some guy's like, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> like rolling. I don't know how big it, I didn't see a picture. I should have done more research. But the reason that there's two scrolls is because you get to about the length where it's capable to be carrying this thing. And you're like, ah, I should start a new one. So that's why we have two documents. It's because there's two different scrolls because practically it just made sense. You should have two scrolls. We can't do one that's 60, 70 feet. Oh, thanks. Anyway, side note. So the Gospel of Luke, the first scroll, the first document, describes only the beginning of Jesus' work. And in the second document, the book of Acts, he describes its continuation it is the continuation of Jesus' work through the person of the Holy Spirit and his church. And that's the work that continues today, to our present day, to us here in this room. Now, of course, the book of Acts is not open-ended. It does have an end. And it doesn't give us the full history of the church. Acts spans a period of about 30 years. And it takes us up to about AD 60, 61, and ends with Paul in Rome awaiting to hear, uh, awaiting to appear before Caesar Nero. And yes, that's the Nero that, like, the dude was gnarly. The book covers just 30 years. Just 30 years. And it's just the beginning. And it's, invited, it's divided into two parts. The first is the ministry of Peter. And then it shifts to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And now that does not mean that Peter stopped doing ministry. It's just that the narrative shifts from Peter to Paul. So even in those 30 years of the church that the book of Acts covers, it only covers a specific section. And, and then there's even that it barely mentions. Uh, it, it does mention them, but barely mentions the churches in Samaria and Egypt and other places around the world that had a very robust history at that exact same time. Because many other apostles and Christ followers were spreading out across the world to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And the book of Acts is not a comprehensive history of all of it. That's not the purpose of this book. That's not the purpose of this book. And it's also not a mistake. It's not a mistake that it covers what it covers and omits what it omits. Because ultimately, the story of Acts is not about Peter or Paul or Luke, but about the continuation of the work of Jesus via the Holy Spirit in his people, the church. And so to that end, the book of Acts gives us all we need to know to understand the trajectory 
and the fuel with which God launched his church and the fuel with which he will continue to send us on that trajectory. So going back to verse 1 here, right? He says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. In my former book, I wrote. So who is this author? Who is Luke? What do we know about him? Well, we really don't know all that much about Luke. We know that he was a physician, Colossians 4.14. We know he's very well educated. That's very clear in, this doc, in these documents he's written, but also it makes sense with uh, the fact that he was a physician. We know that he was a Gentile uh, by his name. We know that he was devoted companion of Paul and that he loved and followed Jesus. That's really clear. And that's what we know. That's what like, we really know. There's lots of things we can hypothesize, but we get little snippets of his life throughout the epistles and from what is shared in these two documents that are just, um, they're really narratively amazing. It's amazing. But concrete facts about him are pretty sparse. You know, like, was he married? I don't know. Where was he originally from? How did he meet Jesus? How did he get connected with Paul? How did that work? There's lots of things that are kind of left to our imaginations. So Luke is the writer, and, and we know some things about him, and that stuff is really helpful. Also, because he wrote the document, that just reveals so much about him. The other person here, though, Theophilus, who's that guy? <laughs> like, who is that guy? Both the first scroll and the second scroll are addressed to him, and we know much less about him. The, he may have been um, like a Christian who, who was wanting more information about Jesus in the church, or he might have been some Roman official overseeing some aspect of Paul's trials. Maybe these books were defense briefs that Luke took the two years that he was with Paul uh, while Paul was in prison. Maybe it was a part of Luke uh, working to, to help inform the Romans who were bringing Paul to trial and being like, what is going on? Maybe that's how it worked. There are even theories that the name Theophilus could be symbolic because the name means God lover. Point is, we don't really know. And it doesn't matter actually all that much to what we can learn from this passage or from this book. For all we know of Luke and what little we know of Theophilus, we can absolutely say that what is recorded here is important and it is historical. And the scholarly consensus on that, by the way, is very robust. And that's regardless of religious affiliation this is historical, and it is important. So let's continue. Verse 3. He writes, After his, that's Jesus, Jesus' suffering, after his crucifixion and death, he, Jesus, presented himself to the disciples, um, to them, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So, Jesus left no doubt that he was alive. He left no doubt that he was resurrected. And that's really what Luke is getting at here. He's tagging on to what he, how he finished the book of Luke. He's just reminding, hey, he, he really did resurrect. That's like legit. That's real legit. And Paul describes one of these convincing proofs that 
Luke is talking about, convincing proofs of the resurrection. He wrote about it in 1 Corinthians 15, saying that Jesus was seen by over 500 people at at once, of whom the greater part are still alive. So more than 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus, and most of them were still alive some 25 years later in the days of Paul's ministry some of whom Luke likely saw and interviewed as he researched and composed these scrolls. So for 40 days, the resurrected Jesus engaged with his disciples and others and taught them about the kingdom of God. So what did he teach them? Let's go to the next verse, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In a few weeks, Dick Thompson, uh, the seasoned adults pastor here, will be with us. And he's going to speak here in YA, and he will be preaching upon the passage that this is referring to, that we'll be getting to. It's the day of Pentecost. The day when the Spirit of God poured out upon the disciples with fire and wind and power. And there's so much to say about the experience and the reality of the Holy Spirit and what it is that God and Jesus in this moment is is projecting forward for the disciples to look forward to. There's so much to say about it. We're not going to get into all of it, but I really, I want to read Galatians 5 to you. Galatians 5, 22 to 25. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit, that's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit that God, uh, Jesus was saying, is going to come. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, that's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God is not just something that happened to them. It's not just something that happened to them. The Spirit is not withheld from you and I, nor is it locked in some window of history and can't get out of that. Rather, he is the seal with which we are secured for eternity, with whom we are empowered for holy living, that the fruits of his spirit might be manifest in us and through us. He is the one that ignites us so that the world may see the radiance of Jesus through us. Keeping in step with the Spirit of God, seeing the fruits of the Spirit manifest in your life, these are the rewards and privileges of a child of God. If you love Jesus and have put your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection and what that means for your life, one of the things that that means for you is that the Holy Spirit is with you. To ignore him may lead to a more comfortable and predictable, actually not may, it will. It will lead to a more comfortable and predictable life but surely not a better life. If your relationship to the Holy Spirit, if you've put your faith in Jesus and your relationship to the Holy Spirit is a complete mystery to you, well, one, get in line, but two, if you'd like to explore it further, 
I want to encourage you. It's not too late. It never is. If you don't know what it means to experience or listen to the Holy Spirit, or you don't know where to start, well, come talk with me. Talk with Sarah. If you're somebody in here who you have made a dedicated practice of following the leading of God through the Spirit, reconciling it against the word of the Lord, if that is you, make yourself available to pray with someone else in this room, to speak about it, to share about it, to talk, that others may learn. We need one another. We're not meant to read in a, read in a book and be like, okay, it's this, there's not like step one, step one A, step one B, uh, okay, if that doesn't go well, go back to 1A. Like, there's not this, like, clear formula. God made us that we may actually do it in a discipleship, apprenticeship way with him and with each other. He gave us the church that we might have a people to wrestle with, to walk with, and even be uncomfortable with, to make mistakes with. So if you're like, I have no idea, I'm afraid of the idea that the Spirit of God might be with me and could in any way reveal something to me, you're not alone, number one. And number two, this is a safe place to find people to explore that with and to make mistakes with along that. We need one another. God gave us one another to be a, a, a mirror upon which we can measure the authenticity of the word of his spirit. So engage with it and ask for help because we all need it. We all need it. Coming back to the verse here, I want to linger for a moment on one word, and that's the word wait. He told him to wait. I hate waiting. <laughs> Anyone else? You're like, man, I don't want to wait. That's, oh. He commanded them to not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus was not in a rush. And his urgent task for them, his urgent task was to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come, the promise of the Father. Because Jesus knew that they really could do nothing effective for the kingdom of God until the Spirit came. That's true for us too. To wait means that it was worth waiting for. To wait means that they had a promise it would come. To wait means they must receive it by faith. They couldn't create it themselves. And so too, we in here, all of us together, continue to wait upon the Spirit for all that He has in mind to do. Continue in verse 6. Then they gathered around him, that's the disciples, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I, I just imagine them with like a big grin, you know, they're like so pumped. They're like this whole time, they're probably going like, well, we actually know like from the gospels that continually while they walked with Jesus, they were like, oh, so now's the time that we get to be like top dogs, right? And Jesus is like, whoa, that's not how this works. And they keep coming back to it. And the cool, cool, it's unfortunate, I guess. I don't know. The reality is that they don't get it. Even after he's been resurrected, he's about to ascend. And they're like, oh, now's the time. This is it. This is our time. They're so pumped. That's how I imagine it, at least. I don't know if that's accurate. That's how I imagine it. That's how I imagine it. 
So they ask. They ask him. Like, he's like, the Spirit's going to come. Wait, the Spirit's going to come. And they're like, oh, that's it. That's what's going to trigger this thing. So the, they ask if now, is now the time to restore the kingdom to Israel? These were all Israelites under Roman rule. That's what they wanted. That's what they needed. That's what they thought. In Luke's gospel, particularly in the joyous outbursts of Mary, Zechariah, and Simeon, these songs that they, that they proclaim, these poems. And this is in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. It makes clear that what happens in Jesus will truly be the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. But these disciples, they're, they're asking about the restoration of Israel's kingdom, and it indicates a hope that is altogether too small. What God has in mind is not just bringing Israel back to the good old days, but bringing Israel to its yet unrealized goal of being light to the whole world, to be a blessing to all nations. The disciples may have thought they were on the verge of inheriting like an old-style kingdom when in fact they were on the bleeding edge of God's mission to redeem all nations a mission that consumed the rest of their lives and ours. Their question that they throw at Jesus in excitement is, I don't, there's, we really can't fault them, right? Like, they're just, they're happy guys. They're pumped. They want what Jesus wants. They just don't understand what it is he wants. Like, their question's full of false assumptions. Have you ever had that where somebody, like, comes to you this happens with family often, I feel like, where it's like, so, dinner Sunday night, 6 o'clock, right? Can you make it by 6? And it's a yes-no question, right? Can you make it by 6? But, but let's say you actually weren't planning on being there on Sunday because you have tentative, tentative, let's go with tentative, tentative plans with friends on Sunday night. So it's actually kind of tricky to respond to that when, like, their question is actually loaded with fault. You're like, you can't say yes or no. You kind of have to like expand on it. Well, if I can be there, I can be there by six, but I might not. I probably won't be there, but I'm waiting till Tuesday to find out if Drew is available for breakfast. And then we're going to talk. And right, like it's, it's like this messy thing when questions have false assumptions laced in them, especially yes, no questions. It's, it's hard to respond to that. And their false assumptions are about like what the kingdom would look like, which is pretty big deal. That's a pretty big assumption. They think like King David. They're like King David. That's what it is. That's what they had in mind. And then they've got these false assumptions about the type of kingdom, right, that Jesus is establishing, the type of king he'll be, and definitely about the timing. They're like, oh, now's the time. Yes. But guess what? We're still waiting for what it is they were asking for. They were way off on that timing. They're asking for a reckoning. When are you going to pull out that sword and give the Romans what they deserve? When are you going to pull out that sword and give anyone who's crossed the Lord Almighty what they deserve? We're all still waiting for that. Praise the Lord we're waiting for it. In his patience, we have, have been able to exist and live and know his salvation in this broken and hard world. And Lord willing, more will. But a day is coming when he will pull out that sword. And the world will know what justice looks like. 
We all pray for that day and long for that day. I do. But in the meantime, I'm happy to participate in the little ways I can and be at God's mercy. I'm so thankful for his mercy because without it, I'm the one who needs the sword. Amen? I guess amen for yourself. You don't have to say amen about me needing the sword. (laughs) They're thinking in that moment, was so very narrow that to expand it to what the prophecies they were going off of meant was much, much bigger and longer of a process than one conversation, than what needed to happen in that moment. In fact, Jesus planned to clarify that through them via the Holy Spirit. So in that moment, Jesus doesn't really answer their question. He says this, verse 7. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, Jesus is great. He's like, ah, the kingdom. (laughs) Yes, the kingdom. Let the Father worry about that. Let's let the Father worry about that. Uh, But I have a job for you. Good news. I got something for you to do. Like he's like he's like the good news guy, right? Like it's like you're a little slow. You're not really going to get this, but you know what? You can do something. Like like it's like he's so kind. Oh. He's like the job that I have for you. This job, it's real important. The job I have for you is to receive the Holy Spirit. That's a huge deal. And then go tell the story of what you have seen and heard locally, regionally and to the ends of the earth. The people who follow Jesus, those guys right back then, standing before Jesus and us in this room, the people who follow Jesus are called to go tell other people about what they saw and heard. We're to do that locally, regionally, and globally. We're to go tell people about the good news of Jesus and amen that we will do it with the power and help of the Holy Spirit. Guys, this verse is the heart of this entire book, the heart of the entire book of Acts. It's not just that they went to the ends of the earth, but that the Spirit empowered them to accomplish it. And that same Spirit is alive in us. The Holy Spirit is the main character of the book of Acts. And all that Jesus began to do and teach continues to be disseminated through the Holy Spirit and the Word of God among God's people. What God commissioned those first disciples to do, we are still fulfilling. And what God equipped them with to do it, the Holy Spirit and the Scriptures, we also are equipped with. We also are equipped with it. What a a wonderful thing. Verse 9, let's continue. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid hid him from their sight. So he finishes talking, and Jesus, I don't know, just goes. (laughs) And a cloud hides him from their sight. When Jesus was born in that manger, God with us, Emmanuel, was manifest in human form. Like what a marvelous and confounding, beautiful mystery that is that God would come and take on human likeness. What a marvelous and confounding 
beautiful mystery that is. It's all of those things in one. If you think you understand it, well, I don't know. Live a little longer, and then you'll be more confused. (laughs) If you don't think it's beautiful, I don't know. Think about it a little longer, and you'll be overwhelmed by its beauty. The wonderful, beautiful thing. is that when Jesus ascended to the throne, his presence and power and purpose did not leave with him. Rather, it took on a different form. The Spirit of God, a light within the people of God, that is the form upon which it took. It is a beautiful and confounding mystery, the Spirit of God, a light within the people of God. It's just like Jesus himself. Emmanuel is still real, is still present with each and every one of us. God with us is more true today, as true today as it's ever been. And it's a gift, it is a blessing that Jesus ascended into the presence of the Father. And you may be like, what? But it's true. It says that he was taken up and a a cloud hid him from their sight. The cloud in verse 9 that Jesus is enveloped in is not a heavenly elevator or some sort of like foreshadowing uh, that heaven's like just a bunch of clouds that we sit on and bounce around on. Like, I think that's, I don't know, that's cartoons, not the Holy Scriptures. No, throughout the Bible, a sign of God's presence is a cloud. Consider the pillar of cloud at the tabernacle or upon Mount Sinai or the cloud that comes at Jesus' transfiguration in Luke 9. If we are to ask the question, where did Jesus go when he ascended? Well, really the only adequate answer is that Jesus went to the Father. Not a place up there somewhere, but to be with the Father in love and power. That's where Jesus went. The ascension into the cloud is Jesus' welcome into the Father's presence and on into the throne. It's not, it's not like this simplistic return to the way things were before the incarnation. It's not like Jesus ascending to the Father is just a return to normal and everything just goes back to normal. No, everything has changed. Everything has changed. The world has changed because now there is a man enthroned in heaven. There is a man on the throne in heaven. He is the Messiah who will bring God's absolute rule and reign from heaven to earth. And that is heaven. Heaven for us is the day when God's rule and reign envelops this earth and makes all things new. And that day will come. Jesus is God's promise and plan for the whole world and neither death nor any of its minions are able to stop it. The ascension of Jesus is actually the solidifying of Jesus' lordship. And it is the, like this Trinitarian tag team of Jesus being like, Holy Spirit, you're in. Like, <laughs> and the Spirit's like, let's do this. <laughs> you know? He jumps in. He's the wild man. He's like top roping it. And you're like, what? He can flip? In John 16... This is before the crucifixion. Uh, Jesus is telling like his crew, whatever, about what is coming, including his ascension. And he says this to them. He says, in verse 6, You are filled with grief, grief because I have said these things. And I just want to point, 
out. Of course they were filled with grief. Things were changing. When things change, there's, there's always a, a sense of loss because it's different. What was is no longer. It's changing. But just because it's changing doesn't mean it's worse. I just want to encourage some of you with that. I know I've been encouraged with that uh, this week that, look, COVID's been crazy. Life has been crazy. Things are changing. But, but I just want to encourage you and hopefully inspire you to be hopeful about that. There's reason to grieve to say, like, man, there's some things I miss. Things are different and I miss that. But then step forward through that grief into a place of, but God is good, and what are you going to do? I can't wait to see it. May this, may this verse tonight be an encouragement to you that just because things change and it feels like grief is the only appropriate response, Jesus leaving the disciples, that seems like the only appropriate response, and yet it was actually to their deliverance and their good that he left. Continues verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father and where, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The Spirit would step into the place of Jesus' physical form on earth. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on His own. He will speak only what He hears, and He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that He will receive what He will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Remember verse 1 of the book of Acts here? All that Jesus began to do and teach, it doesn't end with the ascension. The church continues to proclaim, to teach, to love, and to serve in Jesus' name and with God's power through the Holy Spirit. In the work of the Spirit, we encounter Jesus and what he continues to do. Not just although he ascended, but because he ascended. And because Jesus has ascended and the Spirit made known, our communion with him is not limited to Jesus' physical form. Both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts begin with God's Spirit moving in the world to bring something new. In Luke 1, it's the birth of the Messiah. In Acts 1, it's the birth of the church as the body of Christ. It closes out like this, verse 10. They, that's the disciples, were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So, the disciples, right? They're standing there. They're staring into heaven at where they last saw Jesus. And then you've got these two angels who are like, well, don't just stand there. <laughs> you know when you're driving down the coast 
uh, driving along PCH, right? And uh, you see surfers just standing there outside their car, staring at the surf. You know what I'm talking about? Like they haven't gotten the water yet. They haven't even like gotten the towel so they can put on their wetsuit. They're just standing there. Like they're still in their sweatpants, Uggs, travel coffee mug. You know what I'm talking about? That's the look, right? They just stand there. Even when the waves are like firing, even when it's like beautiful, slight offshore, glassy, and there's like hardly anyone out, there's still people out there standing. Like, are they debating if they, like, you want to go surfing, right? Like, go, man. Like, come on. Like, at least get ready. At least, like, start preparing. Even if you're waiting for someone else to come, like, be ready so you don't, so, like, there's nothing holding you back from getting in there as soon as you can. I I love it. I feel like that's, like, what was happening in this moment. Like, these angels are doing, like, like, they're, like, Standing there as well, right? Obviously, they were present in some way. And so they're like, that was sick. <laughs> like, right? Like, they just saw Jesus, like, do, and they're like, man, the earth has never seen anything like that. That's amazing. And then it's like they catch the disciples off the side, and they're like, what are you guys doing still standing there, man? By the way, how that just happened, he's going to do it again. It's going to come back look just like that. The earth will see it again. It'll be amazing. It'll be so amazing. Like, they're pumped. And I can just imagine them, what they're really saying is, hey, yes, he told you to wait, but suit up. Like, don't just stand there. Like, get ready, as ready as you can get. Jesus told them to wait. But that doesn't mean be idle. That doesn't mean be idle. Maybe go get, like, for the disciples, like, go get a new pair of sandals, like, do some vocal exercises, because you're going to be walking and preaching like crazy. You know, like, go pray, spend some time praying, and get prepared, because the Spirit's going to come, and things are going to get wild, and you need to be ready. You need to be ready. Like, there's things to do, right? Like, they had things to do. Even in waiting, there was things for them to do. Next week, we'll see that they get to it. They respond to the angels. They lean into prayer, and they start getting their affairs in order as they wait. They start getting things as ready as they can while they wait. Like them, we too have reason for excitement and joyful, joyful engagement with what God is up to and into and all about. Band, if you guys want to make your way up, now would be a good time for that. Um, Even like COVID, we're coming out of it, right? Quirk, kind of, I don't know, sort of. Nobody seems to really know. Like, we are, no, we're not. Or it's like, oh, we totally are, but then like nobody else really feels like we actually are. Like it's this, it's this weird thing. It's this weird thing. I feel like over the past few months myself, and maybe for some of you, you've gotten out of the car, right? Like you got like, okay, it's time to get out of the car. And you're standing there just observing. Checking out the happenings, the goings, the comings. You're seeing what what is going on. And can I just be the one to say, come on. Like, suit up. Get ready. Let's go. That God's kingdom is lapping at the shore. Get out there and be a part of it. 
Start suiting up because there is a whole life of adventure coming your way. Prepare yourself. Even if you're called to continue to wait, prepare yourself. Ask the Spirit to lead you through your day. Dedicate time to learning to listen to the Holy Spirit's leading. Be engrossed in the Scriptures in prayer. Be engrossed in the Scriptures. Be obsessed with them. Memorize them. Post them around your house. Take time to meditate upon each passage as you go and ask the Lord, ask the Spirit to enliven it. That it may do what it says it can do, which is to cut to bone and marrow, to divide soul and spirit. Ask that it would do that in your own life. Slip off those comfortable, warm Uggs. Dedicate time to being with him. Slip off those sweatpants and get your towel ready. Maybe jump into serving with high school ministry or say yes to serving in the, in the children's ministry. Like finish off that coffee and be willing to go pray for your neighbor. Even if they haven't asked for it, they might need it. The water might be uncomfortable at first. I'll just say that and be clear. The water probably will be uncomfortable at first, but it's worth it. It's so worth it. Let's pray. Father God, to you be all the glory, all the praise, all the honor, all the power. Father, I ask that your spirit may fall upon us in fresh new ways. Lord, that you may dig up what's within us and show us, one, who we are, two, what you say about that, and three, what you plan to do with it. Lord, may we be bold, may we be brave. May we be willing to get a little uncomfortable in order to see what's on the other side of that, to experience the adventure that you have in mind. Lord, you are so good. You're so good. May we taste and see all that you have to offer to us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.